It's your girl, Rebecca. And Lily. And you're listening to... Just Ghoulie Things. Hey, Boo Things, and welcome back to Just Ghoulie Things. And we are your bootyful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hey. So, Lily, we were Mm -hmm. just discussing the craziness that is your life, but you told me that you have a Lily Baldessori story of the week. So, you have not told me it yet. I am all ears. Let's hear it. Okay. Coming in hot. We're coming in hot this episode. So, yesterday um, was a busy day. It was the first of the month. So, a lot of people come in and get, like, these certified bank checks. Okay. Um which is just money coming absolutely, like, out of our bank, like, to another user. Like, people do it for car payments, and a lot of people do it for rent checks. Okay. So we did, like, eight bank checks yesterday. It was insane, and they take a long time. This one guy pulls up into the first lane of the drive-thru and is just, like, grilling me the whole time I'm doing his transaction, which a lot of people do because, like, they're right there, like, you know, we're really like two feet away from each other, but there's a panel of glass in between us. Mm-hmm. And people also side note, people seem to think that because they're in the first lane, they get helped first, which is not how it works. Life um, hack guys. Yeah. Life hack. So he's just like grilling me the whole time. And I'm just like, you know, typing the stuff in whatever. And my coworker, looks over and she's like dude that guy's just like staring you down like waiting for you to fuck up i'm like i know it's so weird oh god so i i give him his bank check he you know he's i'm like all right you're all set have a good day he like gives me a thumbs up and says thank you he looks it over and everything's fine so he drives away i wake up this morning and i check facebook and i have a friend request from him what yeah and the thing is that my like my Facebook privacy settings are so that only my friends can see where I work. Yeah. So if you type and my name tag at the bank is my full first name and not my last name, so completely different than my Facebook name. Uh huh. So how did this guy find me? We have no mutual friends. That is weird. How fucking weird is that? And shout out to our boothang Ashlyn because she was like, Lily, you need your own personal security squad. For real? What the hell? They need to have some sort of security detail at your freaking bank. Because people are just like, the crazies were out yesterday. It was insane. There's something in the air at your at your bank because I have never seen such a thing in all my time of going to banks and making deposits and withdrawals have never seen I mean even I can't even say that I've experienced a tenth of the type of experience of your even your less crazy experiences I can't even wrap my head around how you've had so much happen to you and you haven't even worked there you haven't even worked there three months no I have not that is beyond me And I mean, like, and I told you earlier about the guy who spat at us because we asked for his ID. And it's like, well, you're at a bank and it's a lot of money. Like, what do you think is going to happen? We're not like a Chuck E. Cheese machine where we just throw tokens out at everyone. People get mad that there are security measures. But I bet you if it were the other way around and something happened to them, they'd be like, oh, well, you guys don't have good security. 
Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, so that was my little story. Um, my, my crazy story for the week. And that's that. Oh, well, I don't think that that's going to be the last crazy story that we're going to talk about on today's episode of Just Ghoulie Things, because today, Lily, what are we going to be talking about? Urban legends. Yes. So we've mentioned urban legends throughout this whole series, but, and I think we've touched upon specific ones such as Bigfoot um, and other sort of cryptids such as skinwalkers. Um, but we never had a full episode to talk about all the different urban legends that are out there. So I think this is a, I think we can just make a series just based off of urban legends because I found so many while doing research that I kept a couple. And hopefully if you guys like the content um, of this episode, we can do a part two, part three, part four, um, every once in a while because I think I think this was a really really interesting topic to delve into I agree I spent literally like 20 minutes just trying to pick my first urban legend that I was gonna do same actually when I told you about the two I was gonna do I kept the one but then I ended up switching it to another one because the first one that I picked that I sent you I felt like it was a good story of an urban legend, but there wasn't a lot of encounters with it. It was just all myth. Okay. So um, I'm hoping that we don't have the same one, but if we do, that makes it even better. All right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, for mine, I couldn't find, I was like searching the deep, deep web. And I found for one of them, a couple of just like accounts and articles of what people said, but I was like, searching all over reddits and subreddit and reddit comments and i couldn't find like encounter encounters yeah but like i tried yeah me too you know i think i think with urban legends it's so hard because a lot of urban legends that we hear it's like a game of telephone someone could have experienced something similar to it but you know word of mouth trickles through and every conversion of um, the story it, it gets it gets changed even just a little detail after a few people tell it it's a completely different story so yeah um we're gonna be reading two urban legends each uh lily do you want to explain to the listeners what urban legends are if they aren't already familiar with the term sure let me google it so i don't fuck it up because google's better with their words than me no pressure okay all right according to wikipedia okay all right an urban legend, urban myth, urban tale, or contemporary legend, that's one I've never heard, contemporary legend, um, is a genre of folklore comprising stories circulated as true, especially as having happened to a friend or family member, often with horrifying or humorous elements. These legends can be entertainment, but often concern mysterious peril or troubling events, such as disappearances, or uh, strange objects. They may also be confirmation of moral standards or reflect prejudices or be a way to make sense of societal anxieties. Mm. So basically it's like a rumor, like a big rumor that a culture has accepted. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. And they're usually like told orally, you know, like, did you like, I picture it always like around a campfire, like did Same. you hear of the masked man in the woods? Yup, yup, definitely. So, Lily, do you want to start with your first urban legend since you came up with this awesome topic? Sure. 
So my first urban legend, like I had to go to like my favorite, one of my favorite places in the world, and that's Iowa. Okay. I love Iowa so much. And one of them, there was this one, um, I looked into ones at Iowa State. I'm actually in my Iowa State shorts right now, um, which is where I wanted to go when I was in like fourth grade. Um, I was like, I'm going to go to Iowa State University like my parents did. And I'm going to meet my, like, the love of my life there like my parents did. And <laughs> I went to high school and was like, no, like. What is college? <laughs> like, uh, college? No. So, um, no, but stay in school, kids. Um, <laughs> but anyways, so I looked into that and there weren't a lot. There was, there's this one, like, kind of urban legend, like, superstition there that I remember when I went to visit campus with my parents when I was, like, 10. Um, Outside of, like, the main hall, there's, like, this crest on the ground, and they were like, if you uh, step on it, you know, you'll fail your next test, and it'll bring years of bad luck, and you, like, have to throw a coin into the fountain or something. But, like, that wasn't really juicy. Yeah. The tea is lukewarm with that one. Precisely. The tea is not fully steeped. So... (laughs) I am going to be talking to you about the Black Angel of Council Bluffs. Ooh, ominous. Yeah, so Council Bluffs is um, an area of Iowa, and it contains the Ruth Ann Dodge Memorial, which is also known as as the Black Angel, and it's a historic object, and it is the only known work in Iowa by the American sculptor Daniel Chester French. The cast bronze sculpture stands along the edge of Fairview Cemetery as a tribute to Ruth Ann Dodge, the wife of railroad magnate, magnate? I don't know, uh, Grenville M. Dodge. The eight and a half foot tall angel holds a water basin and is wreathed in laurel. Its pedestal is a representation of a ship's crow with a garland swag carved in pink marble and we'll post pictures on our instagram Mm -hmm. like as we always do the pedestal platform and reflecting pool is the work of new york architect henry bacon the work was commissioned by dodge's daughters Anne and ella it represents a recurring dream their mother had as she was dying of cancer an angel with a bowl of water approached her and urged her to take a drink During the third occurrence of the dream, Mrs. Dodge took a drink and she died not long after. The sculpture was individually listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1980, and in 2007, it was included as a contributing property in the Lincoln Fairview Historic District. So that's just a little rundown of it from Wikipedia, and then I have an article from spiritualtravels.info. And it's called The Black Angel of Council Bluffs, the Ruth Ann Dodge Memorial. Because I love angels in all forms, stern arch, archangels, little plump cherubs sitting on clouds, ethereal spirits, and big muscular ones blowing golden horns, I'm always on the lookout for them on my travels. In the western Iowa city of Council Bluffs, I found a splendid angel, and she comes with a great story, too. While best known as the Black Angel... The statue is officially the Ruth Ann Dodge Memorial. She stands near the entrance to Fairview Cemetery, the town's historic graveyard on a hill overlooking the city. Graceful and tall, 
She has one hand outstretched, while in her other hand she holds a basin that drips a steady stream of water. Ruth Ann was a fitting match for her talented husband, often accompanying him on business dealings around the world. She loved gardening, music, and art, and was also a skilled horsewoman and excellent marksman. An avid reader, she helped found the first public library in Council Bluffs and was a passionate supporter of women's suffrage. We love a versatile queen. <laughs> exactly. Um, thanks to her unusual memorial, however, Ruth Ann is known better in death than in life. Mm. After her husband's death in 1916, her own health rapidly declined. One night she had a dream so vivid it was more in the nature of a vision she was standing on a rocky shore when a boat approached her out of the mist it was carrying an angel tall and beautiful who held a basin of water drink the angel said i bring you both a promise and a blessing ruth ann declined the offer later telling her daughter ann i felt unworthy and it seems to me like it would be presumption on my part to partake of anything so wonderfully pure, so heavenly, so spiritual. Uh, the dream came to her again a few days later, the same as before. Once again, Ruth Ann told the angel no. But when she had the dream a third time, she accepted the offer of water and in the process felt that she had been, quote, transformed into a new and glorious spiritual being. I drank of that wonderful water of life and it gave me immortality a few days later ruth ann died Ooh. deeply moved by what their mother had told them before her death two of her daughters commissioned one of the country's leading sculptors daniel chester french to create a monument in her honor french did his best to portray what ruth ann had seen in her deathbed visions dedicated in 1920 uh, the monument stands amid a grove of trees. While the bronze isn't actually black, it's dark enough to give that impression. Thanks to the skill of the sculptor, all the parts of the story are there. The boat, the beautiful angel with an outstretched hand, and the basin of, over, of overflowing water. French would later go on to create the famous statue that stands at the center of the Abraham Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Oh, this is like a big guy. Yeah. Uh, but despite the acclaim given it to his subsequent work, he's said to have considered the Ruth Ann Dodge Memorial his favorite piece. Ruth Ann's body is interred in a mausoleum in Walnut Hill Cemetery, about two miles away. But her memorial has taken on a life of its own. Even if local residents don't know of the Dodge family's many accomplishments, they know about the black angel overlooking the city. Not surprisingly, there are many stories told about the angel. One says that she leaps off her pedestal at night to fly around the nearby graveyard. Another claims that if you look into her eyes at midnight on the anniversary of her death, you'll have an early demise. <gasps> as, right? As for me, I thought the angel entirely benevolent. And if I were on my deathbed, I'd love to see her coming towards me. I'd be eager to drink from the water of immortality that she offers. There was one other detail that charmed me about the memorial. When I visited the Black Angel of Council Bluffs, I saw a burning votive candle near her feet. Even though the Dodge family no longer lives in the area, someone had obviously been there on a weekday morning to pay their respects. 
It pleases me to know that the beckoning hand of this angel is still drawing people close. Aw, that's sweet. Right? So I tried to find, like, um, like an actual experience of, like, you know, people going to the monument and then experiencing something weird. But I really couldn't find anything. All I could find was the same stuff about, you know, one legend says, and it seemed like a lot of people, more people stick to the, like, looking in her eyes at midnight on the anniversary of her death. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I was wondering about that, though, is, like, is it, like, 12 o'clock a.m. that morning or the stroke of midnight as the day that's the anniversary of her death is over? Oh, I didn't think of it like that. I don't know. Right, like, as I was reading them, I was like, wait, which do they mean? Because, you know, who knows? It does make a difference. That's a whole day. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, that's my first urban legend. Um, what do you have? Oh, well, before I get started, I have to say, I think the one thing I could take away from this urban legend is I think it's oh, yes, really yes. impactful um, about the story of her having this dream, this recurring dream. And it kind of ties into what you and I talk about on the show of how dreams have their significance to always follow your intuition. And I think that that message that um, she she was found to be immortal but passed away a few years proves that, you know, immortality doesn't mean that you live forever on this earth in the vessel Mm -hmm. that you're currently in. I think that your spirit is forever immortal and that could be um, that you're in different, you're in different vessels throughout this span of time. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I think that your soul forever lives on. It's just that your body doesn't, your vessel doesn't. Um, but that doesn't mean that those people die with the body, which I think is a beautiful message for those that may be going through loss or um, anything of that kind. I think that that's an awesome uh, story to tell. I completely agree. That is so well put, Rebecca. You win this episode. Oh, thanks. I mean, we we both win every episode, but I think still. I think we're fucking awesome. I think we do a good job. Just saying, you know, I don't like to toot my own horn, but toot motherfucking toot, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm starting in hot with my uh, with my two stories. My first one is going to be based in Hawaii, and that is the urban legend of the night marchers. So we have talked about, I believe we talked one encounter story about the Night Marchers. May have talked about them in a little more detail in another episode, but we never, I never really told our boo things the full history of what the Night Marchers are. Um, I saw like a TikTok on someone that was from Hawaii kind of giving a 15 second video about it. And as soon as this came up in my research, I'm like, all right, I'm doing this. That's it. So, um, I, my source is from Wikipedia, uh, for the information on the night marchers. And it starts that in Hawaiian legend, night marchers or spirit ranks are the deadly ghosts of ancient Hawaiian warriors. On the, yes. On the nights honoring the Hawaiian gods, Kane Ku Lono, or on the nights of Kanaloa, they are said to come forth from their burial sites or to rise up from the ocean and to march in a large group to ancient Hawaiian battle sites or to other sacred places. Legend says the night marchers are normal-sized warriors dressed for battle, carrying spears, clubs, and some are beating war drums and blowing tones from conch shells to announce the advancing of their march. Legend also says they are suspended in the air, their feet do not touch water or ground as they traverse through the night, and they leave no evidence of their visitations. 
They march in darkness after sunset and march as a group continuously until just before sunrise. Anyone living along their path may hear chanting, sounds of blown conch shell tones, and marching noise in the night. Mortals must go inside immediately, lay prone on the floor, and not look up to avoid notice from the night marchers in, in, in fear of them um, of being harmed or even death. Night marchers might appear during the day if coming to escort a dying relative to the spirit world. Ancient Hawaiian beliefs state that any mortal looking upon or is being seen in defiance toward the marchers will die violently. Some people maintain that if the mortal lies motionless, face down on the ground, they are showing proper respect, fear, and deference to the night marchers, and they will be spared. Additionally, mortals can avoid harm or death from the night marchers by being fortunate to have an ancient ancestor marcher present to recognize them. As they encounter the mortal, they will call out Nau, which means mine in Hawaiian. No one in the warrior procession will harm them. Which I think that's such a, it's such a dark but beautiful legend of yeah. this could be your ancestor walking in this march. If you are of, you know, Hawaiian ancestry and it's just imagine hearing the sounds of these spirits walking past your house. It gives me the chills even thinking about right? it. Right? I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, like shuddering at that. Like, yeah. Like imagine, and imagine like one of your ancestors, you know, spirits could be marching and like you wouldn't even like you wouldn't even know it but they know you they're able to recognize you which i found exactly. so astounding so legend says planting living tea uh shrubs around one's home is said to keep away all evil spirits and will cause the hawakai po to avoid the area now for those that may be of hawaiian descent that i'm saying some of these words i am so sorry if i butcher them <laughs> but i'm gonna go through them and you can totally correct me on pronunciation by emailing us at so anyway, the ceremony and conduct of the march is customized to the tastes of its honored warrior leader. A Hawaiian king or chief known to be fond of music would be honored with much drumming and chanting. If the king or chief enjoyed peace and quiet, the march would be as silent as possible. Further, if the king or chief did not like to walk around much, he would be carried in a sling by warriors. In ancient Hawaiian lore, the laws declared body parts of a king or chief to be sacred and not to be seen by a mortal. The punishment for those looking at these parts is always instant death, usually by bolts of intense light and flaming heat originating from several of the warrior's eyes aimed toward the violating mortal. Yeah. The violating mortal is incinerated instantly and the bodily remains dissipate as vapors into the night sky. They just okay, so wait a minute. This is out. a hot take right here. What if spontaneous combustion isn't real, but it's the night? What are they? Night walk? Night walk? Night marchers. Night marchers. But it's the night marchers making eye contact with people, and that's how they set like get set on fire. That would make sense if all the if all of those encounters happened in Hawaii. But maybe there are different night marchers in different parts of the world that we aren't made aware of. Who knows? I yeah, don't know. No, um, that's what I mean. Like in Hawaii, like if you know what, I'm gonna Google when we're done spontaneous combustion rates, and I'm gonna see if they're <laughs> extra high in Hawaii. We may be marchers. onto something. 
I really think that I'm like a statistic queen because <laughs> look at me. Look at you with your theories. Yes. Come on, scientific method. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Fight <continue>. me. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, oh, yes. Okay. So, in, if a king or chief's face was not supposed to be observed, the king or chief would lead the assembled night marchers from the front. If his back was not to be looked upon, he would be in the back of the assembled group. However, for some chiefs, there was no part of them that was forbidden to look at by mortals. These chiefs would march among their warriors in the group. There are often Hawaiian gods present in some marches. The torches are said to burn brighter in these marches. The largest torches are carried at one in the front, one in the back, with three within the group. The number five is significant in Hawaiian mythology. In the night march, with Hawaiian gods present, there are six gods, three male, three female. The goddess named Hayaka Ika Paliopele, commonly shortened to Hayaka, is often within the night march. The composition of night marches are extremely varied. The first thing noticed as a night march approaches are loud war drums in the distance. Then you will smell a foul and musky death-like odor, and you will hear the tone of a conch shell being blown for fair warning to mortals to get out of the way, and you will see torches getting brighter and brighter as the night marchers get closer. Barriers placed in the path of night marchers will not deter them. Only the presence of tea plants can divert the marchers, according to legend. No matter what you build in their path, they march straight through it. And one tip is to never buy a house with the back door lined up with the front door. This usually means that this one lost path of the night marchers. It is Interesting. Yeah. It is said that if one were to experience this, the steps are that they should get away from the path immediately. Like I previously said, lie prone on the ground and by no means look at them. If one blocks their way, death is sure to occur. However, like I said, it is possible to escape if one is Hawaiian and an ancestor is present as a night marcher and then they will yell, now, again, that means mine. And then everyone, and then everyone will be aware, okay, I can't hurt this person, I won't hurt this person. Um, the night marchers are the vanguard for... Like I said, a sacred king, chief or chiefess, who unusually have a high station in Hawaiian life. And this was the research that I found through Wikipedia. Um, I'm now going to read you a couple of encounter stories that I found through Reddit. So let me just... Ooh, my body is ready. Yes, let me open this in a new tab. Perfect. And this encounter that I found on Reddit is titled, Husband's Encounter with the Night Marchers. And uh, the source of this was Squishy Chicken on Reddit, and this was posted six years ago. Um, here is his story. This all takes place in Kianai on Maui. My husband, his father, and his friend went fishing. There was a small cabin nearby that they were camping in. My husband's friend told him that maybe 200 yards away from the cabin, there was a path leading from there to the beach and to not walk on it to use a different one. They were camping on a full moon. His friend said it was okay that the night marchers would be out on the new moon. He was wrong. That first Ooh. and only night, my husband was sleeping with his face toward the screen door. He woke up and opened his eyes. A ways from the cabin outside, there was a silhouette with a torch in his hand, and he could hear a drumbeat. It started to turn and look at him. As it did, he quickly buried his face back into his pillow, seeing nothing. That morning, he told his friend and dad what happened. Long story short, a three-day trip turned into a one-day trip. 
They got the heck out of there. <laughs> they got the heck out of there. That is enough to make me more than a believer. The end. Yeah, so if you're, you're going to notice, so I have one more story to tell, and it's going to be talking about more of the legend um, and why not to mess with the night marchers. But with this specific urban legend in general, you're not going to really hear a lot of stories of, oh, I came face to face with a night marcher because if those stories did exist, they wouldn't be able to live to tell the tale. So um, this person was smart. They knew what to do. They lied face down, did not make eye contact. As soon as they acknowledged what it was, they just said, nope. The next day, daylight, they got the fuck out of there. These are smart people. (laughs) These are smart people. Do your research before you go into any sort of location, no matter where you are in the world, because you don't always know the history. That's for sure. 100%. My next story is also, and this is my final story as well, um, for the urban legends of the Night Marchers. And this is titled, If you're ever in Hawaii, I wouldn't recommend venturing out in the forest at night. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this was I wouldn't do that anywhere. Right. I just think that it's common sense. Maybe it's just because I'm like a young woman that I don't want to go anywhere alone at night. But right. Who knows? But I guess when you're, you know, you're if you're in Hawaii and it just everything around you is nature filled, beautiful trees. It's everything so enticing. You just want to explore. So I've never been to Hawaii myself. I mean, I am just completely in awe of all the pictures that I see of Hawaii, and I don't get why. None of us would want to live there, besides the fact that everything's more expensive, um, yeah. which is coming from people like us from New Jersey, that yeah. it's hard, things are already expensive, but Hawaii's like a whole other level. Like, milk's like $10 there. But Really? Oh, yeah, because everything has to get imp- imported there. So it's, oh. yeah, like freight costs and things like that. Like, it's a lot more expensive to live in Hawaii. Um, yeah, I get that. So, yeah, I can understand why this PSA has to be made. Um But yeah, so this is the story. So I experienced a pretty frightening event when I visited my friend in Hawaii last March. I've always wanted to share this story, but I never got around doing it. Anyways, here's a little background. Oh, I don't know if I said this, but this was written four years ago on Reddit by a username, username Crushed Red Party Cups. Pretty cool name. Not gonna lie. I love that. Yeah, total vibe. Uh, Anyway. I met my friend, let's call him Milko, while I was in the Marines. He's a native Hawaiian, and I'm from South California. We were both stationed in the Mojave Desert for about three and a half years. We became pretty close. We ate, worked, shit, slept, drank immensely together. Anyways, I got to know him pretty well, so believe me when I say this guy was super spiritual. He believed in all these crazy Hawaiian legends. He was really respectful of the land, hated how outsiders were causing the Hawaiian gods to be angry, thus erupting all the volcanoes. One time, he was pissed drunk, and I was helping him back into his bed. When I reached to grab him, he started to fight me and started screaming, Please don't curse my family! <laughs> me, me and my other buddies always found it kind of funny and kind of gave him shit for that. All in good fun. Anyways, you get the point. We both got out of the military last year, and we've always talked about me going over to Hilo, where he's from, to visit once we were out. He wanted to take me hunting, cliff jumping, and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. This guy was crazy. So last March, <laughs> last March, I flew out to visit my dear friend. Just a couple of days of being there, nothing strange happened. I loved it there. It was nice seeing Melko getting drunk, going swimming, seeing sea turtles, and all that happy horse shit. 
On the third night there, he decided to go boar hunting. So we got in his Jeep, loaded up with the essentials, and started out into the rainforest. We went down this dirt trail for a couple of miles, got out, and began hiking. He used to boar hunt all the time with his uncle, so I felt comfortable, even though we were only equipped with a makeshift spear, a couple of, oh mache <laughs> a couple of machetes, and some tomahawks. I didn't really think we were going to catch anything, just thought it was fun being out in the middle of the forest at night. It was pretty spooky, though. Couldn't help but think of Jurassic Park. We were hiking, probably about a mile out, not on any trail, just making our way through the dense forest. That already is a trigger sign. Yeah. The next part, I swear, fucking was real. Craziest shit in my life. Out in the distance, we heard yelling, singing, kind of like howling, but it wasn't from animals. It sounded like human. Melko froze. He was like, shit, shit, dude. I just looked at him. What the fuck is that, dude? Sounds like people singing. I wasn't really scared till I saw my friend look absolutely petrified. I thought maybe it was just some campers, but the yelling got louder, and it seemed like it was pretty fucking close. My friend dropped everything and threw himself on the ground. Dude, get down, he hushed at me. I was pretty scared at this point, so I did just that. I asked him what was wrong, and he didn't answer. The yelling started to get clearer. It sounded like a few dozen people. Then we started to hear drums. No shit, they were beating drums. They were loud and were in rhythm. Holy shit, dude. Those are ancient warriors, man. Trust me, take off your clothes. Melko then proceeded to take off all his clothes. No shit. He was butt-ass naked, laying <laughs> face down. He kept insisting I take my clothes off, but I was really confused and thinking it was a prank. But the drums got louder and louder. We were both quiet, and every time I tried asking him what warriors he was talking about, he would shush me. Whatever was beating those drums and making those chants were right behind us, in the trees. I don't know how they moved so fast and silently when me and Melko had to fight our way through the jungle. The chants and beating suddenly stopped, and I swear there were people right behind us watching us. Then I got the biggest chills ever all throughout my body, from my toes to my ears. We just stayed there, on the ground silent for a few minutes. We heard the drums beating again, only this time, in front of us and pretty far away. They grew faint. Dude, let's go, my friend said as he got up with all his stuff in his arms and started running. Yes, still butt-ass naked. <laughs> he put his shorts on and shoes after a bit of running. We sprinted all the way back to the Jeep and booked it out of there. It wasn't until we got back to his house that he started talking. He told me that those chants were ancient warrior spirits, and the purpose of laying down while nude was so they can scan our bodies and so we can show that we meant no harm. Now, I'm a huge skeptic about shit like this. I was raised Catholic, and I used to be super religious in high school, but I grew away from religion in general ever since then. But fuck, what I heard that night, what I felt, was very much real. There was no way it could have been some teenagers playing a prank. They moved too swift through the forest and covered so much distance. Ever since my visit, I haven't experienced anything like that. Anyways, if you're in Hawaii and hear random-ass drums in the middle of the night, get naked and stay the fuck down. The end. <laughs> I love how that one was written. Oh, yes. This is, like, such a guy. Like, so you could just tell this was a guy that wrote this story. Oh, and yeah. it was just like, you know, we're just supposed to be chilling with the bros, you know, go boar hunting in the middle of the night. And then, all right, just some spirit warriors that can fucking annihilate you in .5 seconds comes passing through and you have to lay there butt naked with your other buddy on the floor. I mean, yeah. what the hell? No one sits around, fantasizes about that, and puts it on Reddit. I There's no fucking way. No shot. No shot. This is, it's, it's insane. Um, I mean, I know I'm going to sound crazy, but I kind of want to hear what this, this, this marching sounds like. No, I'm totally with you. 
I kind of want to, like, I wonder if you, because I honestly, I didn't look, I looked up on YouTube different encounter stories to see if anyone talked about mm-hmm. what, they, what they've heard, if they've ever heard it. Um, but I didn't hear, like, there wasn't any video recordings that I saw of the chanting or the drums or anything like that. So if you guys can find that, send it over to us at justgleanthingspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Lily, what is your last story? All right. Mine is, one second, got to unlock my phone. Okay. It is called the Route 44 Hitchhiker. Okay. The Route 44 Hitchhiker is a Massachusetts urban legend um, um, on Route 44 West near the, and I don't know how to pronounce the name of these Massachusetts towns. Rehoboth, R-E-H-O-B-O-T-H, and the Seekonk, S-E-E-K-O-N-K line. So I'm just going to, yeah, spell that, because I don't know how else to say it, because I'm illiterate. Um, So since the late 1960s, many travelers claim to have seen the man dressed in a red flannel shirt appearing to be a bit down on his luck. When they stop to give him a ride, however the man is said to disappear so an article from one fun what is this fun 107.com says you should definitely never pitch pick up any hitchhikers and especially not on the stretch of route 44 in the area of seekonk Reboth line especially ones with red hair the legend of the red-headed hitchhiker of route 44 was made famous by the new england ghost files a book by the late charles turek robinson that chronicled many of the ghost stories of Reebok. That's just how I'm going to say it. We're going to go with that for the rest of the episode. Um, Second. Oh, my God. Why does it think I... Okay. Sorry, I clicked something, and now my phone thinks I want to edit it, and I can't read. Okay, there we go. Uh, (laughs) I'm a thousand. I work with a woman who talks to her computer sometimes, (laughs) <laughs> and she'll be like, why isn't my email loading? I'm like, I don't know. You can't help, because it's like that commercial, you can't help being like your parents. Instead, it's, you can't help being like your coworkers. <laughs> exactly. She'll be like, where, where are all these emails coming from? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love her, though. Okay. Um, but, uh, uh Okay, locals have been reporting the hitchhiker for decades, and the description is almost always the same. A red flannel shirt, dirty jeans, boots, longish red hair, and a big bushy red beard. I'm picturing, like, a lumberjack right now. That's totally the vibes I'm getting, too. Right? Like, kind of like, like, okay, you know brawny paper towels? Oh, yes. Like, if the mascot guy, like was a doomsday prepper. (laughs) (laughs) He's like keeping soup cans in his floorboards and rotating them out every couple of months. In his, in his bomb shelter. Because they're worth money. Like, I mean, all that stuff. Like that's, that's this guy. Um, but even more harrowing, are his dark, empty, and soulless eyes. 
Travelers down that portion of Route 44 will pick him up after seeing him wandering down the road, sometimes with his thumb out for a ride, sometimes not. He'll only get into the back seat, even if there is no one else in the car but the driver. They'll ask where he is headed, but he'll give no response. Ooh. He will simply point down the road at that same direction the driver was already headed. After traveling down the road a ways in complete silence, the hitchhiker will suddenly begin to giggle. No, don't giggle. Yeah, that's fucking scary as hell. These giggles will soon turn into maniacal, uncontrollable laughter that pierces the ears of those in the vehicle. The driver, fed up with the hitchhiker's behavior, will threaten to pull over and force him out of the car if he doesn't stop. And then, in an instant, the red-headed hitchhiker is gone. He simply disappears, even with the car moving at a pace of about 50 miles per hour. (laughs) He just dips. Doesn't even pay the toll. Yeah, he just, yeah, peace. I'm going to go chop some wood or some shit. I don't know. Um, But although he vanishes from the backseat, his presence never leaves the motorist. So that's the explanation that we have. And then I have a couple of, like, short expl- like encounters from other articles. Mm-hmm. So um, this one from the same website says that one witness said that as he drove down the road, the face of the hitchhiker appeared in the side window of his car as if he was floating alongside the vehicle as it sped down Route 44. Another claimed that not long after he vanished from her car, the music cut out on the radio and his crazed laughter began filling the car once again. No! This time taunting her by name. <gasps> and then Stop. an article from whatwhenhow.com says that a woman once reported stopping to pick the man up. He disappeared as he went to grab the door handle. Her car battery then died and then she heard a man again laughing at her. Although he could no longer be seen. Ten minutes later, the car started, but not before the woman broke down in fright. One man had been driving alone when he saw the red-headed man on the side of the road. He stopped and called out to the man who started to walk towards him. As the man got closer, his ghost slowly faded and until he completely disappeared. Ooh, and then another witness had the hitchhiker appear in the backseat of his car through the rearview mirror. So this guy didn't even stop to pick the driver. Did th- This driver didn't even stop to pick the guy up. He just said, surprise, bitch. He just, like, when you almost get in the wrong Uber and you're like, oh, you, oh, check the license plate, like that. Always that, that ask what your name is to the driver. PSA, if you use Uber or Lyft or any sort of car transportation sharing app. Always ask them for your name first. Oh, nice. Just, yeah, yeah. just FYI. It, yeah, usually they turn around and they're like, Lily? And I'm like, yeah, but, um, yeah, what my friends and I do is we go, hi, who are you here to pick up? Yeah, because there are some, there have been some horror stories. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Lily, but, like, there was a one girl a couple of years ago that got into uh, the wrong Uber or Lyft, and the guy ended up, like, raping and killing her or something. Oh, my God. Yeah, super messed up. Worst Uber story I have is when my ex came up as my driver. Oh my god, yes! I he forgot came up as about my driver, that. and I canceled it because <laughs> this was still a fresh breakup. This was 
Damn. not too long after. I remember so this. So I canceled it, and then I opened it up again, and he, like, accepted the ride a second time. And I'm like, dude, take the fucking hit. Like, I, I don't want to be in a car with you. And so I opened up Lyft, and he drove for Lyft, too. Stop it. Was my driver. Stop it. <laughs> my friend drove me home that night instead. <laughs> Wow, that was like fate just being like, bitch, get in the car. He wants yeah, to talk. Exactly. Uh, he, oh my God, wait, no, I totally, I totally just remembered something because I was talking about this story a few days ago and I totally forgot that he, like, you know how your Uber driver can like call you through the app? Yeah. I, I like, I'm like, oh, I'm freaking out. Like I'm at a bar with my friends, like, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, like insert name here just came up as my fucking driver, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I canceled it. And then I came up again and then my phone rang and it was him calling me through the app. And this is like my ah! first, this is my first time hearing his fucking voice since he dumped me on the curb outside of a bar in New York state. So I'm like, I'm like, uh, 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 I'll have someone drive me home. Don't worry about it. Bye. Oh my God. Like, at that point, like, even if you got in the car with him, like, in, in the condition he, he dumped you, like, do you even tip him? Or is like, is this the only exception of, like, fuck a tip? Well, okay. A, so, he was, a, he was a driver for Uber when we were dating. And I remember um, after we broke up, was it that same night? I think it might have been, like, he was out driving that night. Because when my friend arrived at the bar that night, he was like, yo, like, this guy was my Uber driver, and he tipped him, but I told him to give him one star, <laughs> and he fucking did, oh my and I watched him give him one star. Everyone, this is the level of petty I aspire to be, folks. <laughs> That's iconic. He was like, yeah, like, he was just my Uber driver, and I was like, did you tip him yet? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, did you finish like rating him? And, I was, and he was like, I don't know. And he took his phone out and he wasn't done yet. So I, took, I grabbed his phone and gave him one stop. <laughs> you guys think Lily's all sweet and innocent, but that one was, that's a hard hitting. That, I mean, that is like, that is like the worst thing you can do to a person nowadays is giving them a one star. On an app. Also, I was like, when I get in the car, like, if he was my driver, like, do I get in the back seat or the front seat? Because I used to ride in the front seat of that car all the time. You know what? You do. You go in the back and you make him your fucking chauffeur. And you say, should... excuse me, chauffeur, um, where is the AC? Where is my water bottles? And you just totally make the best situation out of a shitty situation. And... I should have. You know what I should have but, like, I was, like, and, and do we chat? Like, is it a silent ride? Because it wasn't, like, this, like, it was, I was up by where most of my friends live. So I'm 40 minutes away from my house. I don't want to be in a fucking car with my ex for 40 minutes. I'm thinking you should have just had one of your friends call you and pretend that it was, like, a new guy. Like, all right, babe, like, I'm on my way. Don't worry. I can't wait to see you. Oh, my God. Rebecca, you're so fucking smart. I'm sorry. This should have been done, like, what was this, last year, two years ago? <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Damn. Well, if it ever happens again. If it happens again, if you don't do any of the following, I am going to be looking for a new co-host. So if you're yeah. interested in co- 
<laughs> okay, okay, back to the... Okay, sorry, sorry. We just... Right, anyways. Um, so, uh, okay, so um, the hitchhiker appeared in the backseat of his rear-view rear mirror. The radio started to scan the stations and then became so loud that it shook the car. The phantom disappeared and began to laugh on the radio. Local legend says that if three people are driving in the same car on Route 44, the red-headed hitchhiker will appear in the empty fourth seat. So who was, who is, or rather was, this ghostly hitchhiker? Who was Nobody he? is really sure. Some people believe that he may have been involved in a horrible crash on that stretch of road or clipped by a car while he was walking alongside it. He could even be the ghost of someone that predates there being even being a road at all. Some 19th century farmer whose spirit has never been put to rest. Ooh, I like that one. Mm. It says, I like to think he may never have been a person at all. Instead, he is something that was created, a thought form willed into existence to serve as the horrid reminder of what can befall someone when they pick up a stranger on the side of the road. Interesting. This is my theory on who this guy is. He I'm listening. hitchhiked one day. The hitchhiker mm -hmm. that hitchhiked him killed him, and now he curses that road and is looking for someone that is going to pick him up, and then, when he finds them at their most vulnerable, kill them. I like it. Even though it hasn't happened yet. But maybe he's waiting for the right one. Well, who knows? There's probably a couple missing persons cases in Massachusetts that were probably this red-headed hitchhiker. Damn it. We may, we need to, we need to be on some like Crime Stoppers, Crime Solvers show and just Honestly. base it all off of our spiritual and paranormal knowledge. Well, what I want to know is if someone ends up trying to like sue him or something for murder, for murdering that, like their missing loved one, like how's he going to get to court? He's we, a hitchhiker. Uh, Imagine him hopping uh, in your car. Let me get a ride to court. <laughs> I Can can't. I, get, uh, I can't miss this court? one, man. I'm on two strikes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> What's your last story? Oh God. Okay. So a lot of urban legends are just legends, right? They're based off of fictional characters to what we know of, um, to those that haven't experienced them. But this urban legend that I'm going to talk about is more than just an urban legend. The story is actually true to a Ooh. certain extent. And okay. that okay, is of the urban legend based in Pennsylvania of Charlie No-Face. So this was an article that I found on Thrillist. Great source. Yeah. And uh, it starts that in early August 1919, eight-year-old Ray Robinson was walking with his sister and a few friends in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, when they noticed a bird's nest perched atop a tree next to an abandoned trolley trestle. Wanting to get a closer look, Ray climbed up, but he accidentally touched a wire that had once powered the trolley. Almost a year earlier, another boy who had touched the same wire died after two painful weeks, yet the power line was still active when Ray reached for it. He was severely electrocuted. His nose, mm. lips, ears, and eyes were all gone or and were misshapen. His arms were maimed. One of his hands was blown clean off. His suffering was unimaginable. But somehow, he survived. Doctors were amazed. But Wright didn't have much of a life after that, at least for a while. Quote, 
If you look at old Victorian homes, so many of them have isolated rooms with drains and plumbing and everything you need to live right there, end quote, said Tisha York, a documentarian who's been, who spent three years researching Robinson for an unreleased film about the green man. Quote, back then, this is where families kept children like Ray. Things were different, and they kept people who were different hidden away from the world, end quote. So, unfortunately, Ray, um, during this t- period of time, looking different than what was quote-unquote normal for common society. Uh, They just, they were the misfits. They did not want them associating with the the quote-unquote normal people. And so they would just hide them away in a small room, lock them up, throw away the key, and just not to speak about them. It's it's so so fucking sad. There was nothing wrong with him. Yeah, he, you know, obviously, physically, there were things that happened to him. But at the end of the day, he still has emotions. He's still a human being, but he was not treated as such because of that experience. Um, just, but the one thing about Ray was he wasn't mistreated in the fact that he was beaten or anything like that. But he did get isolated and ostracized, even by his own family, who would eat separately from him. He tried to make the best of it. He was an avid baseball fan, and he listened to every game. He could pick up on his radio. He learned to read Braille and how to make wallets and doormats out of old tires. And when Ooh. he, yeah, very very creative. And when he became a man, his family fashioned a small apartment for him out in their garage. He managed to dodge notoriety until he began craving a respite from the prison his life had become. He then started walking local highways, always alone and always at night. And this is where the man becomes the legend. So, Illwood City, Pennsylvania isn't exactly known for its nightlife. When Maya Ranchod was in high school in the mid-2000s, she spent more than a few boring Saturday evenings in her boyfriend's emerald minivan looking for Charlie No-Face along Route 351 and in front of Piney Fork Tunnel, known as the Green Man Tunnel. That's not too different than teens like me, who is the author of the of the article back in new jersey half-heartedly shining their flashlights in the pine barrens to flush out the jersey devil <laughs> which that's also an episode we talked about uh season one episode one two or three somewhere in there i think it was the first one was it oh yeah right i think it was our first one yeah so check that out guys if you haven't already Time flies. Um, it really does it really especially this year thank christ anyway yeah right i saw something that was like um, this is the shortest, longest year I've ever had. That is the most accurate portrayal of this year. Right? But, you know what? Spooky kooky ookie season is upon us, guys. So let's hope, hopefully this part goes slow so we can enjoy it. This will be the best part of our year. I can sense it. I hope so. Got to make the best of it, guys. We got to band together as a paranormal community and make this the best spooky kooky ookie season ever. Because we've earned it. We deserve it. Fuck yes, we have. All right, carry on. Anyway. <laughs> quote, everyone grew up hearing about the green man, end quote, Rancho told me. But it's one of those things where you don't really think you're going to see anything. It's a ghost story, something your parents talk about around a fire pit. But we still did it, and it was still scary, even though we knew it wasn't real. People have been looking for the green man for almost 100 years. If you had the guts, you went out and tried to find him, end quote. Um, and... The Green Man, there's some saying that the Green Man's different than the No-Face Man, but some say that the Green Man is also Ray because he was known to 
um, to glow in the dark of like this greenish hue. Um, mm. But we'll get into that a little bit of like the different theories of why he was supposedly glowing. So on the night in the late 1960s that my dad met Ray inside the station wagon, he'd been night swimming at the local pool with some friends who were curious about the legend they'd heard so many, so much about over the years. Though my father wasn't sure who or what Ray was, he had certainly heard the stories. Everyone had. Ray developed a reputation for walking around Route 351 and neighboring roads in Beaver County at night. Obviously, the way he looked garnered some attention. Rumors spread, people actually started to seek him out, and for many, he embraced that. He loved to smoke, he loved to drink beer. These late-night encounters became one of his main connections to the outside world. So he actually kind of enjoyed the attention, the fact that people were talking and that he was actually able to do things on his own for once and not just be caught up in these four walls of a room. Hmm. But it wasn't always a good thing. Not everyone who tracked down Ray on those backcountry roads were content to share a beer with him, take a picture, and move on. As anyone who has gone through life being different knows, and as Ray certainly knew, the world can be a cruel place. So people, not his family, other people that would find him, they would beat him up, they would urinate into beer bottles, then give it to him, and so he never drank an open drink. Sometimes people would pick him up, drive him to the middle of nowhere, and just toss him out of the car. People were just so cruel to him, and he never understood why, right? He did nothing. He's never done anything wrong to anybody. It's just a guy that was caught up in an unfortunate situation is just trying to make the best of his life. So when a car would approach him as he walked, Ray would stop and wait nervously for what might come next because obviously he couldn't see because he was blind. He didn't know what was around him. The sound of tires and engines made him skittish, and rumor had it that Ray even carried a pistol in his belt after one particularly nasty encounter. So the author continues, My dad and his friends gunned it for Wallace Gun Road, packing green man bait, a case of beer, a straw, some cigarettes. When they eventually... The essentials. Yeah, uh, the starter pack for the green man. (laughs) When they eventually found Ray, they pulled the station wagon up next to him as he walked. The driver, who said he'd met Ray once before, hopped out as my dad and others in the car watched through the fog. When Ray climbed into the car, my dad screamed. Can you blame him? Ray's blank face glowing off the dashboard light was nothing like he had ever seen before. The green man in the flesh, just a pencil's length away. According to York, the green man moniker came not from the rumors about him working at the power plant, but from something a little more gruesome. His nose was basically an open wound his entire life, she said. It would get infected quite often, and that would make it turn green. So that was, for those that believe that the green man and the no-face are the same person. um, That's where that comes from. Yeah. After the palpitation ceased, my dad realized he had nothing to fear. It was like meeting the boogeyman and discovering he's just a misunderstood guy who likes beer, shooting the shit, and Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> Quote, people need to understand, this was a human being, a real person, and someone who endured one of the most tragic lives I've ever encountered, end quote, said York. Underneath it all was this beautiful, kind man. Recently, I pulled up photos of Ray online and showed them to my dad. He didn't say anything for a while. He just looked and remembered. The only thing he could say is that he was sorry he was ever scared of the man in the first place. I interviewed hundreds of people about Ray all over western Pennsylvania, said York. They were mostly young men like your father who would go out with Ray or pick him up and drive him around. 
And I wouldn't even be able to count how many of these men broke down in tears talking about him. A lot of them regretted the way they treated him, understandably. But so many people just cried remembering what Ray meant to them and what he did for them, or just reflecting on his life and how sad and bittersweet it actually was. There's a photo of him posing with a woman, maybe the only woman other than members of his family he ever touched. You can tell he was happy and she wasn't scared. There was the young man who lost a brother in Vietnam who credits Ray's companionship and unending empathy as a major force of positivity during his grieving period. He taught countless people who would spend long nights sitting in a car or on a porch with him about the virtue of looking past the superficial, of swallowing fear and abandoning preconceptions. He showed so many people that it was okay to be different. He actually changed lives. Quote, and through it all, Ray was never angry. He was never upset. He never asked me, why me? He kept being positive, being genuine, and being the kind of person and friend we all wish we could be, end quote, York said. Everyone will remember the legends, but he meant so much more, and to so many people, and it really made him happy. He died in 1981 in a nursing home. He's buried in Beaver County, just a few feet away from the little boy who was electrocuted one year before him. Occasionally, you will see fresh flowers placed on his grave. He was a gleaming example of someone being given the worst and making the best of it. Charlie No-Face, the glowing green man, the monster of Beaver County, he was more than just an urban legend. He was a man, and his name was Ray. So, yeah, so I have um, one encounter story that I found on Reddit of someone who actually uh, talked to Charlie (gasps) No-Face. So I'm going to read that. I just thought that this was a a perfect urban legend to end on because it's, while it's very tragic, there also is a beautiful story behind it of don't judge a book by its cover. I know it's super cliche, but this guy took a really shitty situation and he made it as positive as he can be. And he affected so many people's lives for the better, Um, which, I mean, what more can you ask for in a lifetime? So um, Honestly. So this was written by... J-Hop bass drop two years ago, and it was titled, I Talked to Charlie No-Face. Quote, are you sure this is a good idea, bud? My girlfriend said cautiously as we continued down the dark road. It'll be fine, I replied. I could vaguely see her hand trying to find mine in the dark. I grasped it firmly. Her usually warm hand was cool from the evening atmosphere. Instinctively, I turned up the heat ever so slightly. We're not going to get out of the car, I reassured her as I turned on a dark dirt road. Well, what are we going to do if he tries to get in? She was getting more and more nervous with every passing minute. I pulled my car over to park and turned to her to face her. Gosh, how beautiful she looked in her dress. Even though we were both tired of our college's sock cop earlier that evening, she she still glowed with an ever-present youthfulness. However, her face held an uncertainty about what we were doing in the middle of nowhere so late at night. Legend had it that a man could be found walking on the side of the road at night around the area. I had heard people call him Charlie No-Face. I wondered why they called him that. Locals said he would rarely come out during the day. At night, however, he would, have, he would take walks down this lonely road running through this old town of Coppell, Pennsylvania. My buddy Rick had spotted him on a joyride one night, and it scared the daylights out of them. He wouldn't say what he looked like. He said I should find out for myself, and I fully intended to. Mary, I said, with as much sympathy as as I could muster. We're going to be okay. Who knows if we'll even see him? If we do, we'll be in the car. We're not going to get out. Mary hesitated with her her reply. All right. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw something outside of Mary's passenger window, illuminated by a single flickering lamppost. It was moving awkwardly through the bushes, as though it were feeling every leaf and twig. Shh, I quickly hissed as I leaned over Mary to get a better look. What? she asked quietly. There's something over there. 
Mary began inching her way into the back seat. Is it him? She was visibly frightened. Maybe. I slid into the passenger seat. Probably. Mary was now in the back, only slightly peeking over the car door. I began to roll the car down, the car window down, much to Mary's dismay. What are you doing? Mary whispered fiercely. <laughs> I'm going to see if it's him, I shot back. Rick said to shout his name to get his attention. I stuck my head out of the window daringly as Mary looked on. Hey, Charlie No-Face. I heard quiet rustling. Charlie No-Face, are you there? A muffled reply took me by surprise. It kind of sounded like someone said, eh? Suddenly, <laughs> whatever was behind the bushes moved quickly and stood up, giving me a full view of what, or should I say who, it was. Mary stifled a scream and ducked into the back seat. I couldn't believe my eyes. Standing about 30 feet from my car was a man, or what I thought was a man. I couldn't make a guess of his age due to his horribly disfigured face. His eye sockets were missing, only pale skin replaced in the area where his eyeballs should have been, and he had no nose, only a hole where it may have once rested. His upper lip was horrendously swollen, and one of his ears was oddly disproportionate to the other. He kept one of his arms in his pant pocket while the other hung freely, clutching a walking stick. His skin seemed to glow a very faint green. We found him. He began to walk towards the car, slowly and seemingly unsure of where he was going. I began to roll up the window in fear, but he stopped and raised the hand with his walking stick. It's okay, he said, his words difficult to understand because of his disfigurement. I won't hurt you. Aww. Oh, my God, I'm crying. The window remained... It's like that guy from the Goonies. I What's his name, Sloth? Yeah. yeah. Who they're scared of and they keep locked up in the basement, but he's actually really nice. Nice, Yeah. So the window remained halfway open at this point. What are you doing out here so late, I asked him. I'm, I'm just taking a walk, he replied slowly. But at night, he nodded. So people won't see me. I thought for a second. I know. What's your name? Mary had since crept up back beside me and was now peeking over my, sho- my shoulder. Well, you called me Charlie No-Face, but that's not my real name. Well, what is it then, if you don't mind me asking? He waited a moment before his reply. Raymond. Raymond asked Mary. Mary's sudden input seemed to surprise Raymond. Raymond Robinson. He walked up to the car until he was standing about five feet away from the window. Despite his horrendous features, he wasn't as frightening as Rick made him out to be. Mary and I both began to calm down. So Raymond, I began, if it's not too much to ask, what happened to your face? I could have sworn I heard him chuckle. It's all right, he replied. I had an accident as a child. I, I climbed up a trolley pole and got shocked pretty badly. Wow. How did this guy survive, I thought to myself. My face melted off, as you can see. He raised his scarred eyebrows for emphasis. You've probably heard stories about me, eh? I grinned slightly, then studied the melted face before me. Are you able to see where you're going, I asked politely as I could. Raymond shook his head slowly. I can't. I'm blind. How do you get back home, then, Mary inquired. He hesitated. I I don't really know, to be honest. I either find my way back home by some miracle or someone offers me a ride home. Well, would you like a ride home? His deformed mouth crept up into a grin, revealing crooked teeth. I know. Sure, thank you. As he climbed into the rear seat, I could tell he was truly grateful for the conversation we had. I realized not not many people took the time to really give him any attention, let alone engage in conversation. It was a shame, to say the least. I sadly can't recall the rest of the conversation. Eventually, we arrived at his house, an old cottage on the outskirts of town. As he got out, he thanked us and began to walk away. Before he could walk much further, I spoke up again. Hey, I exclaimed. Hope we can see you around again, Raymond. He smiled widely. Call me Ray. He waved and disappeared into his house. I never saw him again. 
This was over 60 years ago. Occasionally, Mary and I, happily married in 1957, will visit Ray's grave in Koppel. He died a quiet death in a nursing home in 1985. Although we never fully uncovered his past, many legends about his ghost began to spread around the area, naming him the Green Man. His ghost is apparently still roaming the road he used to walk in an old tunnel that he used to hide in. If you approached him in your car, he would touch it, and the car would die. This wasn't Ray's nature. He wouldn't dream of terrorizing anyone. I wish people would just leave him alone and let him rest in peace. Even though he suffered the most horrible deformation one could imagine, he still cared about people. He wasn't some monster shrouded in myth. He was a real living, breathing person, and he was one of the nicest people that I have ever met. The end. Yeah. So uh, what's so beautiful is that with all these experiences of him, everyone always emphasizes how much of an amazing, beautiful soul he was um, and still is in spirit. So, Right, and I love that he remained, even though there were all of these, like, rumors going around about him and, like, these, you know, negative urban legends going around, he still remained kind and, like, nice and genuine, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like, Charlie, no face, and hey, go away. He was like, oh, actually, my name's Raymond, but you can call me right. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I love it. Ugh. I love good people. And those that did shitty things to him, fuck you if you're listening. Yeah, fuck you. Well, on that note, that concludes this episode of Just Ghoulie Things. Uh, Lily, do you have anything to wrap us up with before we start with the socials? Um, I feel like... Uh, no. I no? Had, I had something and then it, it, it disappeared. Oh, well... Sorry about I that. I was going to say something like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we should just, as like a whole species, just like stop judging books by their covers. Because I feel like we've seen that a couple of times today in I just, this episode. Yeah, I just think people need to mind their own fucking business. Honestly, if I'm being blunt. unless someone needs help. But other than that, just like, damn, like racehorses have blinders for a reason. Just keep your eye on your own path. Wow, Lily. That, wow, was that Rupee Cower? That amazing. was, wow. <laughs> wow. We need to make that into a fucking shirt. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening again. And we are going to list off all our social media so you can stalk us on. All right. Ready? Born ready. Follow us on Instagram at just Ghoulie Things Podcast. Oh, I was just about to be, I was so confused for a second. I was like, what do I say next? Our personal Instagrams, at Rebecca Ruber and... At Lily Baldessari. Twitter. JGT Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Ghoulie Things Podcast. Facebook private group. It's fucking lit in our Facebook private group, Just Ghoulie Things <laughs> Podcast group. Donate to our Patreon, where we have exclusive episode content and additional interview content. Yes, Ghoulie Things Podcast. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience they'd like to share on our show, feel free to email us at JustGhoulieThingsPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, Boo Thangs, and we will talk to Boo next week. Goo.